Coming up in this episode of the Super Pessis Roundup podcast, we look at all the latest news and goings-on and analyse everybody's chances for making every position in the regular season. That's all coming up on this episode of the Super Pessis Roundup podcast. to episode 31 of the Super Pessis Roundup podcast. I'm your host, Ian Alba, and joining me as ever is uh, our resident coach, it's Mikko Pjörnen. Mikko, how are you doing? Excellent. It's uh, It's been a busy week in Pesapalo. Like, the last couple of weeks of the regular season are, uh, this season, they are as busy as ever. The like basically every team is playing two or normally three games a week, and uh, and yeah, it's it's busy and uh, like it's let's say that it's it's easier when you just have to watch the games and they, even that is like feels like enough. But when I'm talking to people inside the teams, they are like they are having a hard time uh, even like grasping what day of the week it is that <laughs> that's going on that if, if i suggest that could we go out for lunch or something like that they're, they're like well is it tuesday like, <laughs> is it thursday who are we playing next and when is it so yeah so yeah it's good and, yeah, a uh, lot, lot of big games coming up. Yeah, I, I, I feel like I, I, I'm back in the UK now for all of our listeners. Um, I feel like I've come home just at the wrong moment. I really wish I was still out there. Um, had an incredible time, and um, yeah, we we I ended my time uh, taking Miko to a, a cricket game as we were discussing um, a cricket match. Probably should say um, at the. Uh, Ground in Ticarilla, we discussed that in the last podcast, and we actually went to go and see um, Austria play Luxembourg. This is the only mention I'm going to make of cricket, by the way, everybody. Um, but yeah, Austria were the eventual winners of the tournament. So, Mika, you can say you've seen uh, the winners of that tournament as well. Um, so yeah, it was incredible, and um, I would give a big shout out to uh, Juha Korhonen and um, Jesse Makinen, who I saw at uh, Piccola as well. Incredible uh, game against Pantioki. Uh, but enough about me. Let's move on to the news um, itself in the league. There is a story that's breaking at the moment, um, Mika. We've uh, we've mentioned it in our our sort of pre podcast chat. Um, there's a story following on from the game. Uh, yesterday evening um, between uh, KPL and Mansa, uh, a suggestion that somebody uh, connected with the team, we'll go no, no further than that, uh, has been harassing players during the course of the game. Uh, players, I mean, on the opposing team, that being Mansa. Um, some of the 
comments and suggestions I've seen on social media, and you take these obviously with a, a pinch of salt, um, suggest that they were personal comments to these these players. Uh, there's even been suggestions that um, it's somebody very high up within the uh, the organisation at KPL. Obviously, very serious if true. Uh, we know so far from today that there is going to be a formal investigation um, about these complaints. Um, we know as well that you know these two teams they met each other in the final last year for an incredible final. Uh, KPL very much and desperately looking for that championship win, uh, and Mansa of course had pushed the boat out to get that championship last year as well so the tensions running high emotions flowing of course as well but harassment there's no place for that in this game is there Miko? Absolutely not I mean it's in any sport you know, I mean no matter basically no matter where you go uh it's it's always a different kind of approach to the game and how the audience should behave like quote unquote but even though in Pesapalo it's like basically it's the <laughs> the freedom of, of speech is uh is very much alive and it has been a like a part of the game in the past that you get you get a lot of things from the stands and uh, you just learn to absorb that and go on with the game and you also get that same thing from the opposing team and like it's been a part of parcel of the game but I for one uh, I'm, I'm not like uh, being a hypocrite here because I I've done my share of that when I was younger but but I would like to like uh, also point out that that was when I was younger and but that's this case is not about me it's about uh, the things that you hear from the stands is is one thing and there are things that can be harmful and people take them in different ways. But that's not the point here. I mean, the point is that we are really talking about a person who is, like you said, and if these accusations turn out to be true, we are talking about a person who is in a very high position within the organization and that changes the whole scenario tra dramatically obviously i mean you you couldn't like imagine that happening in a lot of sports to be honest uh, i i can think of a couple yes but uh like you said and like an internal in investigation is going on at KPL at the moment and there's quite a lot of uh, heat on them pressure applied to, towards the organization 
because of that and they sure want to get out of that hassle as quickly as possible but i i think that this will turn out to be uh hopefully a bit of a larger uh, conversation about is this a, a part of this game anymore obviously this kind of behavior is not but in, in like in a larger specter of things in a lot on a larger scale of things should it be a part of the game i mean we cannot we cannot tell people in the stands what they they should be doing or what kind of chance or things they slurs or anything like that they they should be saying obviously nothing that goes like uh above the uh level of like the good taste or also i i don't know a better term at this point but yeah it's uh it's mind-blowing that this kind of thing can happen and uh, I, for one, am not surprised. And this is not, like, pointed towards any, like, single person. But the, the sport in general should and has, they, I know that in Pesapalo there has been a lot of talk about uh, keeping the sport clean and it's been as recent as last year when this thing has been brought up but uh, I'll just say one last thing about it because I don't want to be like while the internal investigation is going on it's there's only so much that can be said but the, the one thing that I'm actually afraid of is the level of whataboutism. That, that, okay, he said that or she said that, but what about your fans or what about those chants? And so I, I'm just, I, I really hope that we see the big picture here. That what is, what is the integrity? like towards players and umpires and everybody who is on the pitch that what is acceptable and by whom and 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 yeah that's what we should be discussing about even though this is a, like a, just a single case that needs to be treated as such well, I, I agree. I mean, it's it's one of these terrible things where you where you wonder where we will end up after all of this. Are we going to end up where nothing happens at all and this kind of behaviour is seen as, I mean, if if true, um, is seen as something that will just carry on? Or is there a potential to go completely the other way and say, well, actually, everybody is going to be at fault at some level and we just take very drastic steps to sterilize the environment in the game i i know it's it's a bit different i suppose in terms of fans in the stands as you say uh, you can't control what people say and to a certain degree if it crosses a line of i think one of the things you 
you're thinking of perhaps public decency, if it's going beyond that and becoming obscene, then yes, that is too far. And the club should be uh, taking matters into their own hands if that is the case about people who are attending their venues and say, look, actually that's not acceptable and removing them. But when we're talking about somebody who it's being suggested is so high up in this organisation, there's a certain level of expectation that would be on them for other people, for fans, for spectators. They expect more from these people because they are public figures. They are a public figure for the organisation. So we do expect a little more from them. And yes, I know there are words said in various sports. You know, Cricket's no stranger to this kind of thing as well. Um, and baseball, of course, as well. So I know these things go on, and it is and has been part of the game. But there comes a point where actually you say, well, is this going too far? Are we crossing into the realms of public indecency by some of the things that are said? What should the league be doing, um, if anything, about it? Where can and should we be drawing that line? So it's, again, opening up this, this conversation. And let's not forget that we had a very similar conversation earlier on in the season with Kempele's game manager, who had an outburst in respect of um, uh, one of the game officials. And I was also talking about uh, somebody from the stands uh, who not seven days earlier, had um, had an outburst against a junior official in a junior game. So, yes, you know, sport can bring out the best in us, it can bring out the worst in us sometimes. But it's knowing where that line is going to be and who is going to uphold these standards and how are they going to be upheld. That's where the conversation hopefully will go now. But as you say, I'm not going to comment any more on it. There is these live investigations. And of course, um, it would be it'd be wrong of us really to speculate at such an early stage. But uh, hopefully we will see um, this come to a swift conclusion. Um, because I think that's what the sport needs more than anything, rather than a long protracted investigation uh, and long discussion after that. Yes, I'm... I want to address two things here, even though it's like been already a prolonged <laughs> discussion about this. But uh, first of all, uh, like like I said, we are talking about the integrity of the sport, and uh, it has been quite commonplace that, for example, towards the umpires, they they have been like. Uh, I I don't even know that like how to describe it so to say that if they make mistakes it has been a common thing in Pesapala that somebody and we are talking about individuals here that not just not only the, the like the level of adrenaline and the, like the tempers are flaring and stuff like that but there's some really rude things that are being said towards the umpires and have been and that's also part of this that 
the integrity of the like and the behavior towards the umpires is is one thing and the behavior between the players is also one thing and this okay uh, this game has been cleaned up a lot in the last 20 years and uh, one example that I can like enlighten this or open this up a bit is actually related to KPL because the other thing that I wanted to address that they are an extremely well-run organization that has really clever uh, educated people uh, for example their uh, vice chairman Stefan Spuradura who was for example he was a guest uh, when COVID started and we had like uh, some sessions for foreigners who wanted to learn about the game he came there and was talking about how to play as a pitcher because he did that he's he's my age and he did that like back in the days and used to play a pitcher for kpl and because when you go back like uh long enough tracking his family roots a part of them are not from finland and that was enough in this game in when when the like <laughs> when the stakes were high so to say he was being told like there, there was a bit of a scandal a small one at that but you can imagine what it would be in today's world that like the opponent was saying things like uh, that just get a boat and go back to where you're from and like the opposing opponent the opposing team's coach was the game manager was like telling him that like in the middle of the game and he's like he's born here in finland and and stuff like that so that was like not commonplace but that was like we're talking about this millennium so so yeah and he like i said he's a very clever uh educated guy who i respect enormously and uh i and then and there are a lot of people in the organization of kpl who i respect a lot so i i hope that they treat this in the right way and then we'll see but that's my like <laughs> end of my rant <laughs> We'll move away uh, from that story. Uh, I think there's pretty much nothing else we could realistically say about it at this stage. Uh, but we'll move away from it to something slightly more, um, slightly more joyous, I suppose. Uh, the last uh, year, there's been this underground project in terms of uh, women's softball in Finland and and trying to move towards a goal where there will be a national team competing at the uh, Olympics when uh, they're held in Los Angeles. And we actually saw that dream move one step closer um, recently uh, with a game between uh, Finland and Turkey. 
and Finland actually won the game. It was their uh, first uh, game, their first win. Um, and I was looking at the scorecard. Actually, they allowed no hits in the game at all, which was quite impressive, um, despite it actually being quite a close game in the end. Um, Mikko, have you been following this uh, this development at all? I have, and it has been through the the actual like the ambassador of the game, uh, the the first one at that in my books, and the biggest one, Juha Antekanen, once again, who is in in that project as well, and I I spoke about that experiment and that experience that they had uh, on the phone last week and uh, we have discussed about it a couple of times and uh, it really like it sounds so interesting and most of all what he has been emphasizing is that the players are really like dedicated to what they are doing and I think that when there's like there's enough talent like if if we are taking a look at these things from just an athletic uh viewpoint then there are a lot of things that can be teached and i i i think that yeah i definitely believe in that project i don't know what is the roof of that like the ceiling and but i i mean i cannot tell where they are in the world rankings right now but i can say that they are moving in the right direction and they have really good people in that project and they are like doing the right things and have a lot of energy so that takes them to places, I would say. Well, there's a lot of um, obviously very similar uh, mechanical skills between uh, softball and, and Pesapolo. So the the very core mechanics of it are there and the dedication is there, as you say. It's, it's getting that exposure to the game, uh, getting more games against um, higher level opponents and things like that, really learning as they go, that's the thing that's going to take them to the next levels. And that's where they're at at the moment. That's the next steps for them. And I'm, I'm really pleased to see this project coming along. Um, I am and always will be a, a big advocate for uh, link-ups between different sports. I think there's a lot of things that, that people can learn, um, not only about the sport that they're, they're looking at, but also their own sports. And we, we talk about this often um, on this podcast but it's it's a great uh, start for them. Uh, that game uh, was live streamed. I think all of them were, were live streamed as well. Um, but it, it's in, interesting to see where they'll go next and and how they'll take those next steps forward. And that's that's what I'm looking forward to. Um, and as you say, Yuha is no stranger to um, projects like this. Uh, obviously, he was um, a big player when it came to the the World Cup. That we saw in India the other year as well. So um, the right man at the helm uh, for this job, I think. And obviously, as we said last um, last year, he um, he brought uh, Mansa's women's team out from their kind of uh, very lost position in the table to um, almost 
barging into uh, the final uh, last year. So um, some some great work from him. I hope to see that uh, continue in the future as well. Yes, and uh, I think that later on this year when their season with Senayoki has ended, we need to get him as a guest again. Yes, yes, that would be that would be really interesting to uh, to see. Obviously, very busy man at the moment, um, but yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll we'll collar him and, and get him back on for for another interview. We will. Yeah, he better come. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure if we ask nicely, I'm sure he will. Um, so, moving to slightly uh, different news, I suppose you could say. Um, we know that, and we'll talk a little bit more about um, Roy Hutoret's challenges and the difficulties they're facing at the moment um, in the uh, women's super paces. Uh, they've actually gone through a change of game manager now, part way through uh, this season. Um, Mika, what do you make of that? It's it's not brought them any success yet. Question marks whether whether they're going to get any success for the remainder of the season. Anyway, the schedule looks pretty pretty challenging. We'll talk a little more about that later, I suppose. But what do you make of this story? I think that in the in these kind of cases, there's like as much as I hate to say it, that's the only solution that you can come up with. When, when you have a team that has lost that spark, they, when they have lost their confidence that shows in each and every game that they are playing. Uh, we are recording this in August and they have last won a game in May. So it's like that when now that they changed the game manager and Matti Pirinen who came in is like he's been the game manager for the team or the assistant game manager uh, if I say three or four times already uh, uh, that would be like the rough estimate so they're just uh, I don't know Uh, to me it just feels like that they had to do something and he was the one who was available but I'm not that sure if it brings any extra spark to the game. And uh, and yeah, it's it's all about the confidence levels. And uh, I, I think that they will be in the relegation, not just in the relegation dogfight, but I would be, at this point, I would be surprised if they won't finish dead last in the regular season. Yeah, and in, in many ways, I suppose it's... If if the club is thinking, well, that's a foregone conclusion, they would want a new game manager in now to get a few extra games uh, played before they reach that all-important set of series. Um, because, of course, if they if they lose the first um, relegation series, that's the end of it. But if they win it, they still have to play again. Yes, that's the, that's the key, because the timing was right. And their next game is going to be at home uh, against Kempele, 
which is their best chance on on paper to get anything out of the remaining regular season games and they do need that win like they 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 desperately need that win to restore some confidence in the in the locker room so yeah the timing was right and i agree well we talked earlier on in the season about uh, Kempley's women's team lacking confidence at the very start they seem to have grown a little bit now uh, during the season got a little bit of that that spark back we've seen the opposite i suppose with with Roy Hutteret, where that, that spark seemed to sort of fade and, and now that confidence isn't there. So it's it's a it's a curious matchup, I suppose, uh, between those two to see um whether Roy Hutteret can get that back or whether um that is the end of matters in terms of any points for them. Who knows? But we'll wait and see. Um those were really the, the key stories that I've seen um in the the news recently. Um, we we've discussed, we've mentioned before uh, the the numbers that Siri Escola is putting up, and now they are just beyond ridiculous, because it was four years ago that Janet Telepista broke the single season batting record. Uh, which was back then eight home runs and 76 RBI, so like 84 total. And now we are talking about Escola having 12 home runs and 82 RBIs. And so she has batted in 94 runs in total without being a choke, without being a choker in, in a single game. <laughs> throughout the whole season and that is just I mean the the previous record that Janet Telepista broke uh, that was 17 years old and so so now she's just like demolishing that she's, she's just going we're talking that she's going maybe 15-20 runs above that <laughs> like like playing also on the outfield so i don't know she's like at this moment she's some equivalent of shohei Ohtani, like on women's women's super is there is there like anything that she can do but i don't know that's uh for me that's just mind-blowing and we will not like even realize it yeah, even like it, it will only come later, but that feed is just just ridiculous. She's twenty, she's almost thirty runs above, like ahead of uh, Susana Puisto, who is second in runs batted in. So, so yeah, that's that was one thing. Yeah, I was going to say, do you think this this is a particularly special year for Siri, or do you think that maybe this is something that we'll see sort of trending towards, not just with her, but obviously we've seen, um, as you say, uh, Janet Lipista uh, the other year, breaking those records. Um, we saw Emma Kirka the other year, uh, coming very uh, close to that as well. Um, incredible year 
2020. So again, do, do you think this is where the women's game is moving towards this more kind of dynamic um, run scored? Like you say, there's 12 home runs, <laughs> which is a phenomenal feat in of itself, If even if we took the rest yeah. of the RBIs away. Uh, yes, I think that it is definitely a trend and uh, it like the equipment plays a part and also the players are obviously top athletes and they have for example two decades ago there were like some super teams uh in in super in women's super position even like before that but for example if we take a look at the velocity of the ball uh, when they are testing like the when they are batting and testing how many kilometers per hour the ball is going, like leaving the bat, it's those numbers are improving year by year, and that also like of course that influences the game itself because the outfield has less time to react, and those top batters they can they can make it like nearly impossible, even though the pitch is a it's it's a bit smaller but but even taking all that into consideration that is just a freak season yeah well it's interesting you talk about the the dimensions of the pitch as well because i always think that the women's game is is much more precise because even the angles just that little bit bit extra tight compared to the men's game because it's um the width of the pitch is ever so slightly less as well so um yeah it's incredible uh season that she's been having um it will be interesting to see whether the trend generally continues but this is a season to remember so if anybody uh, hasn't had the opportunity to uh, see her live this season um there's very very few games left but of course we'll, we will be seeing once in the uh, postseason. Well, I think that'll just about do it for the news section. Um, and in fact, uh, probably we'll, we'll take a break now before we start looking at the trends for the men's and then later the women's uh, Super Pacers teams. Okay, uh, so welcome back. We are now talking about the men's superpesis and how the teams are shaping up. Now, normally, um, I've been talking sometimes about the power rankings that I've been doing. haven't had much of a chance to keep up with those on the blog at the moment, so I apologise to uh, anybody who's missing those. But actually, there's something more important that we're looking at at the moment. And as we're getting, as we mentioned at the very start of the show, towards that very busy end of the season it's getting serious now okay so we're looking at how those teams are shaping up for the postseason where they're looking at finishing in the table and um Mikko you and I have talked uh, fairly recently and fairly frequently about how the top eight seems to be pretty much a done deal that the top four are the top four and heck even last place seems to be 
um, solidified. But there are chances for teams to change things up a little bit. First of all, starting at the top, Vimpoli having a bit of a, a monster season at the moment. There's absolutely nobody really seems that can put a dent into the lead that they have at the top. But is there a team? Is there a team that could just nip it and take that top spot? It's not really necessarily going to mean much, I suppose, um, overall, but a little bit of prestige, perhaps, uh, for them. Well, since I've been answering every question for about 10 minutes at this point, I will just say a firm no. Like, the, the odds for that are just just diminutive i mean they're they're just second to none they're they're having a nine point lead with a game to spare against like uh, sotkamo who's uh, second at the table okay manse is there they're having a game in hand like uh compared compared to vimpeli but but no, I mean, there's just five, six games left in this season, regular season, and uh, they're leading the series by nine points. So I, I think that they're they're having a three-game week this season, although they're having a first game on Thursday. So that tells all about the like the rhythm that the teams are having. They're playing on the Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday. So I think that by the end of this week, it will already be a done deal, also mathematically. Yeah. Well, just looking at the table as well, as you say, this is a team, the only team, who hasn't lost a game without scoring any points. So they've lost two games in the season, but even in those two games, they've earned a point in them. So for a team like Sotkam or even um, Mansoor KPL uh, in third and fourth place at the moment to overtake Vimpoli, they'd have to see Vimpoli lose their remaining games with no points, which is impossible. And actually looking at the runs scored for um, Sotkam compared to Vimpoli, Vimpoli have scored 78 more runs than Sotkama this season. That, that's an incredible difference there. And, and you know, Sotkama aren't a team that have a particularly poor offence. I know they've had some challenges with um, some injuries uh, and things like that. But this, the second highest number of runs scored is, as perhaps we probably predicted, um, and I certainly predicted a little bit uh, at the end of last season, was Hirin uh, Kantarkom. When we heard that uh, Johan Niemi, Juha Korhonen uh, would be bolstering, uh, well, Johan Niemi would be bolstering Juha Korhonen uh, there, that was going to be an interesting um, field to watch games at. But even they um, are 35 runs short of Vimpley's total. It's an incredible effort from them so far. And as you say, in order for a team like um, Sotkan or Mansa or KPL to, to overtake them, you'd have to see them play 
do the unthinkable and earn no points for the remainder of the season. We do have coming up um, uh, tomorrow, in fact. Uh, so tomorrow from when we're recording, so it'll be it'll be done and dusted by the time this goes out. But the uh, the classic matchup, uh, South Carmel versus uh, Vimpley, and that will be an interesting one. But I I still suspect that we're going to see that winning streak continue for Vimpley there. So whilst there might be some uh, jostling between second, third, and fourth, and we talked a little bit earlier on in the show about how. Um, tempers may be flaring between some of those uh, teams. It, it seems again unlikely that we'll see uh, a team slip into that top four that we don't already have. Uh, I know at the moment in the table we've got uh, Tarko in fifth with 46 points and Yonsu seems to have dropped off now in sixth with uh, only 41. Um, Miko, I think realistically if we were going to see a team pop into that top four it would be Tarkon. But again, do you, can you see them making it into the top No, four? the top four is done and uh Yeah, and also the positions from five to seven there may be some movement, but that's quite that's kinda well, it doesn't make a big difference in the end. Uh, Taco is very has been very much on the rise, but still, it's going to be interesting to see if they can carve out like uh, three wins against any of these top four teams. And certainly, Joensu, uh, Kempele, and Kite are not showing things that would like to be pointing towards that that they would be doing that in the playoffs and uh and okay we're like this is a very fresh thing when we are recording this uh late Wednesday night on the third of August. Uh today there was a game between Imatra and Kite. So uh IPV they they won that ga- they won that game at their home ground uh, with uh, like two points against zero but the most important thing the the most unfortunate thing was that uh, Kite's pitcher uh, Jesse Eskalinen was injured in that game uh, as a runner well when he was like when he got to third base uh, which looked like a calf injury. And uh, we don't know the seriousness of that yet. And they do have Matthias Lippmann, who is a pitcher by trade. And he came and played actually well in that game. But even though they have both of those teams have the hardest schedules of all teams, basically, uh, in the remaining regular season there's an eight point gap between them and Imatra has a game in hand so so that if that's here if that injury is serious which we do not ever never ever hope to anyone obviously that could still unfortunately play a part in that 
but the top four that's done and dusted. Yeah, I think um, realistically, the only team who can sneak into that top eight would be uh, IPV, and like you say, that their schedule is is one. Um, where you can't really necessarily see any points coming their way. So their next game is against KPL, then Sokamal, then Yonsu, where it, you know, <laughs> it depends which Yonsu side they're turning up, I suppose. Um, Senioki, we'll talk about them in a minute. They, they seem to have had a bit of a bounce. They're, they're doing better the last uh, few weeks. Uh, and then uh, to finish it off, Mansa. So, to to overcome what is at the moment an eight point gap between them and Kite, they're going to have to take points against some of the top four teams. There's no two ways about it. If they were going to overcome it, that's what they have to do. And that seems so far fetched. I hate to say it because you know we would love to see, and we saw the other year um, some really exciting. Uh, Ends to the season where it went right down to the very last game. Who was going to make it into the top eight? Um, but I think I think we can pen in who those top eight are and pretty much where they're going to finish. Um, when we then look at the very bottom of the table, Kankamp uh, and Myler seem destined to finish last. <laughs> I was looking at the the uh, the maths on this. They're currently twelve points behind Patioki. Okay, so they're thirteen points behind um, Sanioki, who are just above that relegation zone at the moment. Okay, so if they wanted to avoid a relegation battle, mathematically, what they would have to do is get thirteen points more than Sanioki in the last five. Games. Now that is uh, almost ludicrous, especially when you consider that they have to get at least two points against Mansa and Vimpoli, as well as three points each in the remaining games. And you know this is a team who hasn't had um, any points for an incredibly long time. Um, I'm just talking too much about a team who are definitely going to finish last, aren't they? They are, and they know it. I mean, it's their only like focus is in the relegation series against whoever is coming up next day. But the, but the funny thing about this is that Kakapa has been dealing with some serious injury issues, with some COVID issues, and with some, well, whatnot. I mean, it has been an incredible season in all the negative, for all the negative reasons for them. But, but like, if you flip it around, there's like uh, Patioki, Senayoki, and Kosken Korva. They they are within one point at this moment, although a different amount of games being played. But every team has those niggling injuries by now, and the 
what can actually be an advantage for Kankampa is that those three teams, are, they're going all the way. I mean, they have to fight. They, they, they literally have to go all in. Uh, it can go down the wire. It can go actually to, to the last game that decides who is the other team in the relegation series and by that point it's like Kankampa has been just like getting their guys healthy and hopefully get the best possible roster when they when they start that series so so yeah it's uh but they are gonna finish dead last that's not even a conversation yeah well it's an interesting thought um when I was in Kovala, um the other week, I watched what perhaps is one of the most incredible <laughs> games, just very strange to watch, um, that I think I've ever seen um, against Patioki. And Patioki were 6 nothing up in the first Jackson. Kovalai came back to take a 9-6 lead in the fourth. Incredible comeback. But, yeah, okay, you sort of expected it from a team of that calibre. But then, Patioki come back again. And they score six runs in the bottom of the fourth to win the act, so at 12-9. When I was watching that game, it felt as though... Everything was thrown at that first jack. So every bit of energy was thrown into that game because the second half really looked like the energy had gone. The psychologically, both of those teams were pretty spent. Obviously, Patioki had the edge. I think psychologically, having beaten um, KPL in the first jack. So, but if that's the way that it's going to play out, for example, with with teams like Patioki, with Senioki and um, Koskan Korva, there is a there is a chance for Kankampa, who, as you say, they've they've had a season with everything in all the wrong places, all the, all the problems. And let's not forget, this is a team that have had problems in the years leading up to this season as well, and and um, Paul numbers of fans in the stands so it comes with a history as well that's just been declining um as well to look at but that that does seem to be something that could potentially um change things up and again you know i saw um Patioki then play um at uh, Hivinka, uh as well and again, they played quite well, but I think they were just missing that edge. They were still reeling after that that um, quite hectic uh, game in Goldblatt. So, who knows? But they, they've certainly been doing well enough so far to look as though they could creep out of that bottom two. The team that I wasn't expecting to turn it around and uh, creep out of that bottom two was Sanyoki. Now, I, I joked uh, in an email recently, um, a fan of the podcast and uh, uh, Sanyoki fan, who in fact had uh, 
has been sort of welcomed by open arms into the into the club. Uh, he was over from the US to come and watch some games. Yes, there were two foreigners. In fact, there was probably more than two foreigners at one point um, looking at uh, P- uh, Pessis games uh, in Finland. And um, I joked saying, well, as soon as he was there in the stands, he must have brought a bit of good luck charm or something to the team because they had gone on a, a point scoring, if not winning streak, the likes of which they hadn't seen earlier on in the season. And in fact, they are pretty close to clearing themselves completely from that uh, bottom two. When we then contrast it with uh, Koskan Korva, this is a team that's only got two points in their last 15 games. So that is not a team that you realistically think, okay, they're going to get some points between now and the end of the season, especially when you consider that those two points came against Kankampa, who, realistically, you would have thought those two points will go to Koska and Cordova anyway. So, Miko, thoughts on, on how those three teams will be shaping up towards the end of the season? I would once again go to schedule strength also, because, uh, okay... Sanyaki has been overachieving over the past couple of weeks and uh, their confidence has been growing a lot and they have, for example, gotten three points from Koskenkorova. But they're like, within their schedule, okay, they have had some tough games, but uh, oh, like since the middle of July, which was like, we're talking about just two weeks ago. They had, like we discussed in the in our latest episode, uh, the last one was that they they had three games against Kankampa still remaining in their schedule, and still even even if we look at it now that okay they are playing Johansu uh, at home, Kempele away. But, but then their last three games in the regular season are Patioki at home, uh, IPV at home, and Kankampa away. So they really do have a great chance of steering themselves clear. Uh, Patioki has been one of the surprise packages early on in the season. They are well coached. They are going through like a change of so to say generation and new players coming in and uh, immediately finding their place in super pesis but they they have had a tough schedule lately and they are on a five game losing streak and they will have to fight for it it takes a lot from that uh, young team and also their hot batter Yusuke Keski Kokkari, who was selected to the Italiansi game, he has also like cooled down a bit. So he hasn't been hitting those uh, important runs that much anymore, and they will need those. Uh, I actually think that Seneyoki will get clear. And then we will discuss the financial issues and whatnot. But uh, from the like perspective of, of sport, 
itself. Uh and Korva is like they they are spiraling down fast, and uh, Patioki is also having a hard time. So I predict a battle between those two. Yeah, and I I don't disagree with that. For me, I think um, Senioki they've they've got enough in in the uh, in the remaining games. To secure enough points, like you say, their schedule is much easier. And this is a team coming not long off the back of uh, getting a point against Vimpoli, which is damn hard enough for anybody. <laughs> so um, that was that was an additional bonus for them. But they, they they must feel confident now that they're heading in that direction that they can um, steer themselves clear. Koskan Korva. For me, I think probably could come off worse than Patioki, but just because I think that Patioki will will feel that there's a little bit more confidence there. They're a young team, they're coached well, like you say, but I, I get the impression, and certainly having watched them uh, in back-to-back games <laughs> um, the other week, they seem like a team who were really giving it their all, and I... I Get that more of a, a sense of determination than Koskin Korva, who sort of seem a little, a little lost in some of their games at the moment. So, if that's going to be the determining factor, um, then yeah. But, but having said that, uh, Koskin Korva have an extra um, game to play um, over Patioki. Uh, Patioki have only got four games remaining. Koskin Korva have five. Um, and this does include um, Koskin Korva playing against uh, Patioki once away and Kankampa away. But really, those those are the two games that I'd expect them to be looking for points. But we'll see. Yeah, definitely. And uh, the, the game next week, the, or the games next week for uh, Patioki... Uh, Sorry, it's actually this Sunday, but anyway, the 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 game against Koskin Korva, that's like that's a six pointer. So if if either team wins that and gets three points, that's just massive. And that that game is being followed up from Patioki. Uh, that game is being followed up. Uh, with a visit to Senayoki four days later, so those like those two two games are the deciding factor for me, and uh, especially the Sunday's game is that's yeah that's massive. Well, that's the men's super basis and how things are are um, shaping up at the moment. Moving then over to uh, the women's super basis. We've seen things tighten up a little bit in the the top four. Um, at the moment, there's an eleven point lead between fourth place Lapua and um, Ferra Rama uh, with thirty one points. Mansa still uh, top, but there's a there's a five point gap to to Pori at the moment. Um, Miko, do you see Pori? Or even Kritaretu are also on forty-six points. 
um, making a leap and, and uh, overtaking that monster at the top? Actually, no, I don't. Uh, I, I think that, yes, it's possible that monster will drop some points and that's that does leave the door open for Bori, but but it's also like due to the stadium thing early on in the season when they played away games all the time, they finished the regular season with four home games in a row. And uh, now the first one was played today when they're like absolutely wiped out uh, Vera. And, uh, now the, and now they're playing Joensu, Seinäjoki, and then Kiritaret at home. And they do have, even, even if Bori would win their uh, spare game, so to say, uh, by three points, they will still have a two-point lead over them. And uh, so, yeah, it, they... Manze are the odds-on favorite to win the regular season, but but it's not a foregone conclusion because, like like I said, they are for example they are playing Kiritaret and they are playing Seinäjoki, which are the two they, games where they can lose a Yakso or some, even a game or something like that. Uh, and of course, Pore can also do that, but their schedule is uh, they play Bödua uh, twice, and they play uh, Fera, who is their local rival. So, like, it's a cliche, but the form table goes out the window. And uh, then they play Mailattaret at home. So, their schedule is. A kind of one that they can actually carve out full 12 points out of that and thus apply pressure to to Monza but but yeah I I still think that Monza is the outside favorite yeah I mean we were talking earlier on in the show um how um Seriascola is uh lighting up the scoreboard with her incredible season and it seems uh, unlikely that uh, as a result you know Mansa are really going to uh, slip away from first the fact that um, Pori has two games against Pertua is interesting because I would expect <laughs> I would expect Pori to take the full six points from those two games um, which would mean that they would be ahead by a single point with one less game if we um, move the schedule around. So it, it's it's interesting last few games, but we would have to be banking on Mansa losing uh, ground quite significantly. And again, this is a side who um, hasn't had a zero-point game all season. In fact, they've only lost three. Um, and much like Vimpoli's, um ridiculous run score, um, perhaps more so Mansa's, um, 
even more ridiculous. 247 runs scored over 21 games played, which is a ridiculous number. I can't think of any other word for it, but it's, it's astronomical. Um, the next highest number of runs scored is Pori, and that's 186 uh, from 20 games. Um, so yeah, it's it's um, it's hard to see anybody overtaking at Mansur at the top. Pori do have an outside chance to do it, but we'd have to see results falling in a very uh, interesting way from Mansur in particular uh, for that to to happen. Going down, um, sorry, okay, okay, uh, <laughs> okay. So going down the table a little bit. Then towards um, the last of the playoff spots, um, Tahko are currently ninth place. They sit three, <coughs> sorry, they sit three points behind Yonsu with a game to spare. Do you think Tahko can leapfrog and make into that top eight, or do you think Yonsu probably will will keep that eighth spot? That situation has changed dramatically because uh, when we last, like, when we discussed about this matter, it seemed like, okay, if Tarko would get those, they, they played Rohutare twice when, while you were here in, in Finland. And uh, before those games, we were talking that if either one of those teams wants to make it out of the, that relegation dogfight and get into the playoff battle, they would have to win those two games. And Tako did that. And after that, they even managed to beat Giritaret. Okay, they have lost some close games and some not so close games. But then they have also got, like, in the last two games, they have managed to get very important five points against Purdue and Vasa. So, so it's like, uh, now, now when we're looking at the schedule, they're playing against Gempele twice, who are also on the rise, by the way. So, there's even a chance that, like, if either one of those teams takes, for me, the line would be at least four, uh, preferably five points out of those two games. They are actually in a strong position to, to challenge Yonsu for that last playoff spot. I, I genuinely be believe that even Kempele has a shot. Not not just Tarko, but Tarko does have that, which is, to be honest, is it's incredible when you, when you take into consideration that they have scored fewer than four runs per game in throughout the whole season. I mean, they they basically have, sorry to say this, but they basically have no offense. And then even still, they can actually sneak themselves into playoffs. And that for me is like, yeah, but they can do it. It's, it is possible. 
Yeah, 170 less runs than Mons have scored so far this season. Maybe somebody could drive down from uh, Dampere and give uh, give them a hand down there in Hovinka. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. And I just wonder as well, we talked as, uh, in the last podcast about Varsa having a, a difficult schedule at the end of this season. Do you think that's another thing that could come into play? Because looking at their schedule... Um, they've got Lapua twice and Pori as well once. And we've talked about how some of those moving parts of the top end of the season, they're going to want to finish in a decent spot if they can as well. Do you think those games are going to come into play a little bit for um, for Vasa? Maybe see them drop down to eighth or even potentially into ninth? It's always possible, yeah. But... I would be surprised by that, especially when they have the their last regular season game against Rohiltare at home. So if it comes down to that, I would say that they would be the favorites, and and they they have actually managed to get points from a lot of games. They they are like. For me, they are like the draw specialist of the, like one one of those, uh, because six out of seven, like when we take a look at their latest results, six out of seven of the latest games have went to either Supervoro or or the scoring competition. So it's like we have either played the extra inning or. Which has happened, uh, let me check, four times. And twice we have went to scoring contest. They only went to, like, away against uh, Rojutare. That was the only game that didn't go to extra innings. And they won that by three points away without Rojutare scoring a single run. So... Even if they would lose those two other games without getting a point from those, I I wouldn't be worried about their playoff spot. To be honest, I'm like, if there's one team that is in serious trouble, is it's Joensu who have been playing well and they have challenged the top teams. They have managed to win teams like Kiritaret and play go close games against uh, Bori and Manse and uh, teams like that but they just keep they just keep losing those games and like dropping a lot of points and their three remaining games are a tough uh, like uh, it's a tough weekend and let's put it this way that first they're uh, traveling to Tampere to play Man- against Manse. Uh, I would be really surprised if they, they they can they can make it close. But since Manse is also like they they have high stakes themselves, so Joensu taking a Jaxa would be a surprise. And then the day after that, they go to Bertua, where they might be the favorite, but they have 
a game the day before a long trip to, uh, to the other side of Finland uh, basically and uh, it's not going to be that easy especially as Botua has also got like some grip and some steam to their like first year in in Superbasis so that's a tough spot and I think that it will go down to the last game of the regular season when they are playing against Tarko. So it may very well be decided in that particular game. Mm-hmm. And when we talk about um, making it into the top eight, there's still quite small margins between being in that top eight, in that eighth spot, and then actually finding yourself in a relegation battle uh, in 11th place as well. The, the, the teams between sort of ninth and 11th, very, very um, tight, really. I I can't see, I mean, we spoke about this earlier on, I, I can't see Roy Hutoret making it out of that bottom spot. Um, again, when you look at their, um, their schedule, even if they got full points against Kempele and Vasa, which is a big if at this stage, they would still need points against Kiritaret, Lapo or, or Senyoki to, to drag themselves out of that. And as you say, you know, there's, there's games between those teams at the bottom which will be divisive for them. So it, it, it seems an inevitability and they have to have that one eye, as we talked about earlier, on how they're going to approach that uh, relegation series. Yeah, that's. Uh, I haven't even thought about the whole scenario of them getting out of that uh, position because, and I, I don't know if they think about it themselves either. I mean, there's also always belief inside any sports team that plays uh, on a top level but uh, just to bear in mind like I said that their last win was in May and they are on a 15 game losing streak so to turn that around and get some three pointers that from the schedule that they have and to do that more than once that's like no not not gonna happen and uh that's they're just like you said relegation series that's a done deal yeah that's that, that's what they've got to focus on although of course if they do make it i will be the first one to try and buy up those movie rights because that will be the sporting story um of the year if not um, more than that. Um, the one interesting set of uh, matchups for me coming up, uh, as we talked a moment ago, is Kempele with two games against Hovenka. As you say, if Tarko take four or more points out of those, they could be securing themselves a place in that top eight. But equally, if Kempele are not scoring points in those games, that could leave them in a position where they could fall behind and end up in that relegation battle. So it's really crucial 
kind of moments for them, I think. Yes, and this week this weekend will decide a lot because Kempele is like coming from from the north all the way back down like six, seven hundred kilometers to Helsinki and Hubinka to play sort of a double header like back to back games uh, on Saturday and Sunday against Rohutaret and uh, Hyvinkää. So, uh, so yeah, if they manage to get wins from both of those away games and maybe come up with five points, it's like that's at that point, it's anybody's guess what will happen. And, uh, and yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what, how, how it actually pans out. Like in the end, but but I just just one thing that that actually bothers me a bit when I when I take a look at the like when we are talking about margins like these that like you said it's it, it's super close. Uh, at the bottom end of the table and the top top one at that but the regular season doesn't end on the same day for all teams so that's like we're talking about teams that are right now on places 8 9 and 10 and they are playing against each other. So on Saturday the 13th, Tahko will be playing away against Kempele. Which is Kempele. Kempele is playing their last regular season game in that particular game. And the next day, Tahko will be playing against Johansu away. Which, which is like... It's a ridiculous situation, if you ask me. That how how can it be possible that such a schedule can be like when you have a scenario like this? Of course, nobody could like uh, nobody knew that before the season. But right now, it's like it's an uneven situation, and it's an awkward situation at best to be honest, for me. But it's just my opinion. Yeah, they, they used to do a similar thing in the uh, the Six Nations. And I remember um, a number of years ago now, the Irish team anxiously waiting to see if uh, England would win their final game on the Sunday uh, and win the Six Nations trophy there, or whether Ireland would have won it, uh, already having beaten, I think it was Italy. Which wasn't a surprise, but yeah, it's it's that kind of strange, anxious moment where the the schedule doesn't quite marry up with the the expectations or the excitement of the season, and yeah, I mean it is what it is, um, but we'll see how those things play out, and who knows? Um, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Um, I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know how these things are going to go, but in terms of 
what things are looking like and how realistic teams are, are looking and shaping up. I think we can say with some degree of certainty how things are going to go. But if there is going to be a miracle, um, it's going to be the story of the, the yeah, season. I agree. And it's the 100-year anniversary. It, we deserve a miracle. Yeah, yeah, we do. But <laughs> who knows? Maybe we, maybe we can get one in the playoffs then. So. Well, that is true, yes. So, um, well, I think that'll just about do it uh, for this episode. Um, I want to thank uh, my uh, co-host, Nicole Pirronen. Thank you very much. This was a very, very like interesting episode. And uh, I think that it will get even better uh, when we approach the playoff part of the season. Oh, definitely. You you wait till I bring my spreadsheets yeah. out. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, of course, um, from me, Ian Alba, thank you very much for listening to the podcast. If you've liked what you've heard, and I hope you have, then please like or subscribe to the podcast. And please do leave us a comment. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, if you want to read more, then please follow um, my writings on the blog. That's uh, WordPress. Dot com. You'll also see me writing from time to time for uh, Hamina's website and also for uh, the Portolina website as well. You can also follow me on uh, Twitter and on Facebook at SuperPesisR. But until next time, we'll see how all those games play out and we'll see you soon.